bottom line. Welcome everybody to the bottom line. Very excited for today's episode. Also for Instagram Live, thank you for being patient with us. We're so happy to be with you. X, Twitter Space, the whole deal. Um, YouTube, Rumble. Um, today, I, I want to dive into an aspect of our world that I think crosses into your world as the viewer. Our world of fighting human trafficking, um, your world of where that intersects with you. But really, we're going to talk about the role finance and money plays in crime and um, institutions and proximity of crime in relation to money. And um, I can't think of anyone better than to have uh, Aaron O'Loughlin on today, and I'm going to have to read this, Aaron, Senior Director of Training for the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialist. Welcome, and formerly, in your former profession, if you don't mind sharing with us. I was a case officer for the CIA. The CIA. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, let's start with training. Field office your start in the CIA, that journey. Um, simple question, how much training goes into an agent? Well, uh, number one, we're not really called agents in the CIA, that's FBI. And so just to make that distinction there, uh, that's stupid, but still. Uh, I had two years in formal training, but then you're still constantly trained after that. It's, it's it never stops really. And your two years of training initially, was it was it specialized immediately into financial crimes, oh, no. fraud, money laundering? No, not at all. I didn't touch that. Of what you can, of what you can share in the agency, yeah. and what do you refer to one another in the agency? COs, if you're in operations, okay. you're a CO, yeah. or yeah. sometimes you're a staff operations officer, sure. or, or what? Different jobs have different uh, yeah. the acronyms within uh, the agency. Yeah, all yeah. all acronyms soup. Uh, but the no, no, I was just trained on basically how to talk my way into things and how to talk my way out of things and how to convince folks to you can trust me. Yeah. When they're, they're share intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. uh, you are the face of that that fear that they're going through. You you are their counselor. You are you're holding them their hands, their families. They've, you've got their lives in their hands, and they need to trust you and they need to trust the government. Um, and that's that's hard to do. I. I the last three years and four have shown me that it's hard to say I'm with the government and I'm here to help, right? Um, well, Ronald, Ronald, Reagan Ronald Reagan yeah, said mm -hmm. that those are, in his words, I think it was the, the, the nine most horrific words or horrifying words you could ever hear. Yep. Yeah, is, absolutely. Is exactly that, you know. And, mm -hmm. and uh, funny enough, that was quoted on the Senate floor two days ago was by someone who clearly did not understand Ronald Reagan's words and said, like... President Reagan said, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And that's actually not what he said. Yeah. He actually said, that's what you don't want to hear. Don't want to hear most terrifying words. <laughs> so, okay. But now stationed where? I was overseas in uh, mostly in war zones. I was in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then before that, it was TDYs. They're called temporary duty. Yes. Throughout uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, Southeast, I'm um, sorry, um, Central Europe, um, I never gotten to Latin America or South America. With with the key focus on on, I was mostly counterterrorism, counterterrorism and, yeah. and informants yeah. and and 
building relationships. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. I helped out with uh, whenever I go TDY, it was for certain specific things I would be doing. And then I'd go back home. Yeah. Those sorts, sorts of missions, sorts of things. And I said, you know what? It's about time I go full PCS, which is permanent change of station. Mm-hmm. And I threw my hat in the ring and I, I got into, because I did almost nine months uh, TDY in Afghanistan. And then I threw my hat in the ring for a full PCS to Iraq. I was in Mosul, uh, 07, 08. Uh, and then after that, I went to California to get a respite tour. So that's what they tell you when you're working really hard war zone uh, areas that you have to have a one year or one tour respite tour. Respite, and so they, yeah. they sent me to California. So I'm from Virginia. And so they sent me to California. I thought that's great because I didn't want to go back to D.C. Please don't send me back to D.C. I was trying to get out. Yes. And so luckily I got that one. And then life took a, a, a spin that I didn't count on at all. Uh, but I met my now husband in California. And I said, uh, after about a year and a half working domestic issues, I just thought, I can't do this anymore. You can't. Me personally, I couldn't go from the adrenaline-filled you know, really seeing the fruits of our labors, really seeing what was going yeah. on on the ground and being able to write an intel report one day. And then the next day, the Army's knocking on our, our SCIF, which is a sensitive compartment and information facility. Mm-hmm. They would come and hit on our SCIF and then say, hey, we'd like to action this report. And then we'd all go scatter and go, whose report is it? Whose report is it? And we'd all get excited because we thought this is the actual work that we're doing and we're seeing the fruits of it. You don't see the fruits a lot of it time when you're overseas. So we were able to see those things. You can't get that when you leave a war zone. You can't see the good that you're doing. And you're quite frankly, you're not supposed to either, just to de- put a defense on the intel world. You're not really supposed to. You're a part, you're a cog in the whole big wheel, mm-hmm. and every single bit of intel helps. You're collecting, mm-hmm. you're verifying, you're distributing, and mm-hmm. then it, it's handed off to yes. another department of government, whether that is DOJ yeah. or Absolutely. And DOD or whoever. Just yeah. to make clear, too, when I said I went to California, uh, we are not allowed to collect on U.S. citizens yes. inside yes. The, the United States. No, I did not. I worked side by side with the Bureau. Yeah. Anything that we did, they had to be um, okayed by them first. With the FBI. Yeah. Would have put that yeah. disclaimer out yeah, there. Uh, yeah. And it, look, <clears throat> and this is where Hollywood doesn't do things favor. Mm-mm. You know, no officers don't shoot around corners with their guns like this and and no it's not james bond and and in the world of trafficking hollywood has definitely not done us any favors you know uh, a guy on a boat with a set of skills that's going to go find his daughter and call you know taken and that's not that's not the world right but the world of intelligence um is not much different uh, or disagree with me then when we do a rescue and we have a traffic survivor and now you need information and you've got to build trust and there's no trust zero and there's very little trust for anything with a badge i mean because they've been either arrested or have complained before and nothing happened and so there's this giant chasm of then how do we fill this void and the style of communication and and then you get into lack of training for PD and burnout and you know, fatigue. And I think personally for someone in your capacity that has received arguably, and I don't know where you would rank it, but some of the best training in the world, right? In, in that engagement of building trust, getting information, you know, yeah. I think once someone exits that life, like you have and you're now in a completely different role which is we're going to get to but those skill sets i think is absolutely invaluable in the fight of human trafficking and in the fight of saying okay how did you how would you how do we learn share 
how do we write protocol? When we write policy, I said that this morning in a meeting, we've got policymakers writing policy on fighting trafficking that don't couldn't even define trafficking for you. They've never dealt with a survivor face to face. They don't know the intense nature of that conversation and engagement or getting a forensic interview or uh, multiple personalities fractioning of the brain or fear, you know, they just don't know. And so I think if we reverse engineer the experience you have, and that's why I think when we write policy, it's different because I, I come from the field right. to legislation and say, no, 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 no. We need to write it this way because you're going to make our life very difficult on the ground if you don't. I mean, your thoughts on that? That that has to be what happens. You're absolutely right. They're sitting in these, the man in the high castle type of thing, and they're way up in their ivory tower, and they said, oh, I'll write this because it sounds good. And they're only writing for re-election. Mm-hmm. That's all. Well, you, you know that. Our, mm-hmm. our view, Your viewers might not, but they're writing for re-election and what is going to be the easiest way for them to get re-elected. And this is all personal, but I, I personally, that makes me a little sick. You're not doing the right thing for the for people, the most vulnerable of our population. You 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 are telling the truth, because, and that's why you don't see teeth in the policy. No. It's about passing the bill, mm-hmm. and passing a bill. And this is again any politician, libertarian, conservative, Democrat doesn't matter. The way you advance your career is you pass policy. You tell your constituency, "I made a new law." Nobody's checking whether that law is contradicting 900 other laws, whether it's it's actually informed from the field, from the ground up with NGOs or other government agencies that could say, hey, this is what we see. You know, those conversations don't happen because I'm in those I'm, I'm in both worlds. I'm in the world of sitting in a room writing policy with with what you call ledge counsel for different states. And then and then you got to. Redo the work 50 times over because yeah. every state is different, but the information, you know, and so I think that world, we need to tap deeper into that talent pool and that talent set. And thank you for how you're mm-hmm. walking with us. The transition from there to, to, to now financial crimes. I just stumbled on it, Help honestly. Yeah, I, I sort of stumbled on it. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I knew I just had to leave. Uh, something was telling me I needed to start the second chapter of my life and I ended up getting married and I spent about nine months unemployed because in the Bay Area in California I was in NorCal uh, my resume did not quite resonate with them and they said well what does this get me I couldn't change my resume because it had been approved by the publication review board and they said this is what you're allowed to say and it's legal for me to talk about it's legal for me to put it on a resume but there's also parameters (laughs) yes Yes, you can't talk about sources and yeah. methods. You cannot yeah. talk. I can say where I was, but I'm not going to say what you, you know, did yep. and who and yeah. Yep, not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of boring anyway, so your, your viewers are not going to like that. But anyway, I I had nine months of unemployment because I could not, and I, it was a full time job. I was trying desperately. I was sending resumes and making connections and filling out uh, applications online for I think I did twenty or thirty a day for almost nine months. And I kept getting the, when the few ones that I did go through the HR software, I would get, okay, let's talk. Cause some of them were so excited to talk to a CIA agent, you know, a CIA officer. And I, I realized, you know, about three or four months in, I thought I'm only getting these calls because they just want to yeah, yeah. say that they've talked to someone like yeah, me yeah, and that's yeah. not fair at all. No. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't get hired. Luckily 
So my, my fiance then, husband now, but we were engaged at the time and he said, well, why don't I just send your resume into the bank? And he works at Bank of America. And I said, well, uh, what would I do there? I don't understand. Yeah. And he said, well, there's something called risk. Uh, there's compliance. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't even know. And he sent his my resume to a very close friend of ours who works at the bank, former boss of his. We love her. She's in the area. And she changed my life, changed our lives. And she got my resume to the right person, a man who's a Marine reservist. And he was at Bank of America. He's left. He saw my resume and said, I know what this means. He served yeah. in Afghanistan. Too. I know what you can do. Mm -hmm. I know tours. what, and it's I know what you know, mm -hmm. and I know what you were trained to do. Yep. And isn't that funny? How in 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 humanity, you can only love what you know, and you will only defend what you love. Yep. And someone could look at your resume, with, and I don't know if you guys is is there a number a value number like I know what the government invests to train a Navy SEAL. So I could say, hey, X amount of dollars went into that person to train him. But it's a significant... It is a significant number. I don't know that right? number, but they used to talk about that. Okay. So we invested how much money in you? Yeah, exactly, sort of thing. Yeah. right? But mm -hmm. now, but for someone to look at that and they can't see the value, yeah. they go, it's cool to talk to you, but I mean, and then that person saw the value, which I'm very thankful for because I've said for a long time, as we discussed this morning, we have to start very proactively stepping into combating human trafficking from the financial perspective and within the financial sector. Yep. It is a $152 billion industry, 50 plus billion in the US alone, and we are not hurting the bad guys financially. No, I love being in this industry because when I first got into Bank of America, I was working mortgage fraud cases and uh, more macro. I was yeah. doing reports about what okay. trends were going on. And I told my my boss at the time, the one who hired me, Troy, he's a Marine, who hired me. And I said, look, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I've got Intel background. I will take a pay cut. Let me just learn. And I kept my head down and I just did the work. And I I made up that money that I did lose at the beginning. I've made it tenfold. It's it's fine because I've worked my way up in this this industry. And I went from fraud to anti-money laundering. I said, okay, I've got this fraud thing down. And then the two of us went from that group that he wanted to form that didn't end up going because of politics. But you know, two of us jumped from fraud over to AML, uh, also another uh, army reservist who ended up being my first level boss. And he and I are still good friends. And he and I, uh, he taught me a lot of the money laundering portion of it. I got certified an anti-money laundering specialist, became that. Um, I, I did that for three of the five years that I was there working terror finance cases. And I love the industry because I could actually, I had more and still do finger on the pulse of Intel than I did when I was in the agency. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of scary when you think about but, it. But because you're closer to the money. Mm -hmm. You see the money flowing. Follow the money. Mm -hmm. It will lead you to the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. Yeah. And, and okay, so how many years now have you focused on, on financial crimes? 12. 12 okay. years, 10 working it, and now, well, nine and a half working it, and two and a half now teaching it. Well over double the amount of time yeah. that you were in the agency. And no, so, I was in for 10 in the agency okay, and then so, 12. Okay, yeah. okay. 10 so, and 12, mm -hmm. okay, yes. What are you learning, um, broad question, the connection domestically between foreign entities such as car Mexican cartels with a footprint in the U.S. from a financial perspective? Broad question, but right. I think the the evidence to that question lies in watching the news when it talks about how banks are de-risking or closing their branches along the southwest border and and the southern border in general. 
uh, if your viewers want to go ahead and Google that and anytime they want, you can get, have a lot of articles on how they're closing down branches just on the southern border. Well, why is that? They know something we don't know. Mm-hmm. And what is that? And that leads you to more questions. It can also lead you to more information. OSINT, we call it, open source intelligence, yeah. to say, what are banks doing? When banks move, that's when you know something's going to happen or something is happening. Yeah, Watching the bank's activity will give you a lot of information on the nature of our our market, uh, of our country, how safe we are, how safe we, we aren't, that sort of thing. And when you see these bank closures, uh, we're seeing them now uh, all throughout the country, and that's due to the economy. Yes. So when you see them scattered around, that, okay, that's an economy issue. Or we're, you know, and we're going more towards online banking. So there's those factors. But when I first joined the financial industry in about 2011 or so, in about 2013, I started really seeing, because I, I go, okay, I've learned the mechanics over here, and now I kind of have to lift my head up and go, what's happening in a broader uh, area? And then I started hearing a lot more about bank closures along the southern border and mm-hmm. de-risking. And I had to throw myself into, what does de-risking mean? That sort of thing. So that will tell you a lot. I know I didn't fully answer your question. But no, but the risk profile of the customer, mm-hmm. and it's KYC, right? And so- Know your customer, yes. Yeah, and, 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 and all of a sudden, if your customer is- inside the U.S., partially part of the Sonora Cartel, mm-hmm. which is a, what I consider a terrorist organization, um, it, gets inter- it gets interesting, you know? And so, because someone's paying, someone's buying, and money's going somewhere. It's not all in duffel bags. It's not all underground. It's bankable. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what we're finding a lot of human trafficking, it just flows through the system. Financially, it flows through the system because it's it's so... It's so common today and it's familial and it's in the family. And, you know, it's not like the transaction is logged as by definition of, of the activity, right? I worked a very famous case and I'm not going to say what case it was, but it's very famous and all over the news. And when something, when a, a terrorist attack or other kind of domestic terrorist, whatever you want to call them, attack happens, those of us in the risk and compliance industries and banks, you always have to say, oh gosh, was that our customer? And there's a small group of people who are actually, they're told that this is their job. And then you go look and see if that that person in the news is in your bank. And so then you got to figure out where the money went. So I worked one of those cases and um, the whole family was involved. That sort of thing, that, which was a complete shock to me. And it, it all happened with money flows within mm-hmm. different states along the Eastern border, the East coast and all these family members. And I had I should have known that when I was over here in Afghanistan and Iraq because it's tribal in different yes, countries. But exactly. I didn't bring it over here into the U.S. until I saw that money flow and said, "Well, of course it's tribal. It's going to yeah. go from B of A to J.P. Morgan." Well, let's ask J.P. Morgan. Under the Patriot Act, it's something called 314Bs, where banks talk to each other, and we are covered under 314B to say, "Hey, Bank X, I'm going to ask Bank Y if you have this customer." And if you have any money laundering or terrorist financing concerns or anything else or any bio you can give us on them. That's all the questions you're really allowed to ask. You can ask more, but they're not, the bank isn't necessarily compelled to answer more. But they should. we should be talking more. The 314 process is pretty bogged down. It is pr- pretty bureaucratic. I, w- it, I was going to ask you how how yeah. how open is that information highway and how, because when we look at agencies in law enforcement, whether it is a local PD, the the same county sheriff, and they're not communicating, or we're working a, P, a case with PD in Dallas and we find the child in Las Vegas, 
and those two PDs are not communicating, yeah. and, or the marshals are not talking to the, the, the rangers. I mean, it's the information yep. share within banking. The system is there. Mm -hmm. The process, the protocol, the law is there to support it within parameters. But you're saying that it's not necessarily a free-flowing yeah, mechanism. It, it's it's tough. And, and I will defend the banks a little bit because we get so much training on the whole, hey, this is important. You need to do it. You need to answer it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And we, we had that hammered into us. And I was at Bank of America and Western Union. And same thing. You have to make sure that you answer these. Well, when you're the bee on the ground, you're the worker bee, and you are part of the team that answers these or at least pulls the information that's requested and gives it to a law enforcement liaison group, you're seeing that the request came in 90 days ago, 120 days ago. What? You're supposed to answer them as soon as they come in. Well, these big banks, they don't have the personnel to be able to work these. And you have a queue that is just phenomenal. It's so big. And then you have to go into a different, um, it's so protected that people who have, who are the POCs for a certain bank that have the 314B information that you need or that they need. And you have to go into another encrypted email and find that person. You have to go on the, you have the password. It's, it's, and then, you know, you have a quota of, of cases you have to finish for the day. And then you got to go into all these different opening boxes and zippers and say, open Sesame and wish and all this stuff. Did I get the right password? Did I get the right? And a lot of us investigators that were on the ground say, that's hard to do. I'll, yeah, I'll put the 314B off because I got to get my quota. Exactly. Or else I'm going to get uh, exactly. deemed. Exactly. And it's tough. It's so hard to bring that in to, to hire more. And when the economy tanks, compliance are the first but, but, to go. But yeah, Exactly. And here we come again. You know, mm -hmm. it's a defund the police movement. Yep. The first units in this country that got cut were child victims units, yep. were anti-trafficking special ops you know, uh, teams, were SRT, special response team in HSI, were you know, anti-trafficking, uh, um, um, you know, internet crimes divisions de decimated. And in the banking, it's gonna be compliance. I walk into, and I'll leave the name of the bank out, and, and we, we move banks. It's very hard to physically walk into a bank today and get customer service. Yeah, it's very hard because of the economy and because of scanning. Now everything goes online. online. At the same time, crime is spiking. Reporting, we, you know, we do a lot with see something, say something. But okay, so now what do you do with the say something portion? Someone has to process that information, mm -hmm. hand it off, because you only see in part. Hand it off to someone, and it may be interbank or outside the bank. I mean, it's a complex organism. Yeah. And I think my point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of room, unfortunately, for crime to thrive. Yeah. Whether it is sex crimes, sex trafficking a child in broad daylight, financial crimes, and they go together. I mean, they go together. Someone's paying. You know. So there's room, and so so big question. I'm not a big government guy. Neither. Um, so I don't want to overregulate. I don't want that. I don't want overreach. Where do we make a dent when we look at stopping human trafficking from a financial aspect, like cut off the money? Because when you hurt them financially, things they start. You'll start getting informants on one another. Yeah. My first gut reaction to that question would be, and this is going to sound self-aggrandizing from my own company, and I'm not trying to do that because this, I've got into the ACFCS because I love this, more training. 
it's so difficult for a human being to see certain things that come across on the spreadsheet if they're not trained to see it. I, I agree with you 100%. That is the biggest piece. Yeah. Uh, it's the transaction monitoring rules that happen on the back end too. Uh, we have to tweak those better. But that comes from Intel coming from different spaces too, which is training. Is it a policy problem or is the, is the policy in place to train? It's just that, that the time is not allotted or the resources are not Policy is in, in place. Absolutely. Okay. Banks so there's absolutely policy. do that. They're allowed. Yep. They can trade. Yep. Absolutely. They can get enterprise memberships with our com company. Again, I'm not trying to sell anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not in sales. For but they can go outside. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, and regulators bring, love that. Yeah. And they can bring in the experts and say, yep. come on. Yeah. Same argument I'm having on human trafficking. Yeah. Exact same. Just yesterday, I'm meeting with state school board entities whose job it is to keep schools safe. And I'm saying... And they're saying, can you come train us? And I say, yes, but it's not just about training you. Can we train the student? Because that's the first line of defense. And right. the parent, and they're like, well, we don't have protocol to mandate that. But you can do this. you know. And so we have to go outside of even, look, we train FBI agents on certain things on human trafficking. Yeah. Nobody is an expert on everything. Yep, exactly. So, So in your opinion, why not more training? Because to your point, you can't. If you can't see it, you don't see it. Right. You can't act upon it. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're trying to ask that question and answer that question too. Why? So first of all, regulators love it when you're sitting in an audit meeting and with a regulator and they, they have all these paperwork that they have to fill up, boxes they have to check when they're going through your, your systems and everything. And they ask the question, what's your training program? What's your training compliance program look like? And a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times when a person, a bank employee will say, well, we are enterprise members of, and then you'll say there's the big three of us, right? Yeah. It's three big associations. And I've watched a regulator when I was in the industry working on the ground. Uh, I watched a regulator on a Zoom call go, oh, thank God. And then he just took his papers. There's like three or four pages of papers he doesn't have to do. And he said, thank you for doing that. And he goes, now we can move on. That's the power of an association that only deals with yeah. training. Focused training. But the, the funds aren't there. Compliance gets cut. That's the problem. We're, see, we're hearing that a lot. So our sales uh, uh, director of sales, Victor, he's fantastic. And he has a lot of relationships with a lot of different banks. And he's being told that, especially with the economy the way okay, it is. Okay, so, but, but here we go again. So yep. I'm saying we're identifying financial crimes rising. We're identifying it as a as a, a linchpin for a lot because it's all fine. Any crime, drug, drugs, people, trafficking, whatever, there's finance involved. And it's flowing through our regular banking system. So, hey, high priority in my eyes. We got to train our people. Yep. Because if we make a difference here, we can make a difference unilaterally everywhere. If we touch the money, yeah. if we create choke points, if we create valves, if I can use that term, mm -hmm. shut that valve off. Mm -hmm. Somebody's talking, somebody's going to move, and then they're going to make mistakes and we'll find them, right? They'll pop up. Yeah, We should invest heavily you would think the would banks think. would, right? You Saying, would so how high of a priority is financial crimes? Let's, let's, let's segregate it from to the bank and then to the government. I can't speak for the government. I, I really can't. But seeing in the last 12 years in the bank, I see a lot, a ton of people in this industry. It's why I'm still in it. In this industry passionate about this very subject. Yeah. Terror finance, human trafficking, human smuggling. Yeah. And these are great people. Fantastic. Then I hear their bosses right above them going, well, it's a cost center. You don't bring in revenue. 
And that's the problem. Well, then we're, we're stuck, right? So I'm really starting to focus on, all right, let's go around around this. I, I was told recently by a regulator in FinCEN, FinCEN's under Treasury, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and is the biggest regulator of all banks in the U.S. Uh, there's regulators throughout every state too. So a, a bank gets gets checked up the tailpipe constantly, all the time, right? For all different types of regulators. From FinCEN officer told me himself, he said, there is a 314B association that nonprofits can be a part of. I'm still looking into that to get that information out. So more more information flowing into the banks to say, hey, you don't have to pay for this. That this is be, a 314B that, association from a nonprofit that's like unbelievable. Boy, Boy we, Industries. Yeah, if we, if we go in and say, look, here we go. We're going to train. Because yeah. again, it, it may not be fintech or money laundering, but it is physical customers. Yes. It is, do I see something? What do I do? What is it? How does it correlate, you know, et cetera? And you just mentioned fintech, and mm -hmm. that's where my other part of my brain goes. So cash is being used less and less. We're doing yes. Zelles. We're doing Ven Venmo. Venmos. Yeah, we're doing all this. And cash they app. always leave a fingerprint yeah. or, a, you know, a digital yeah. print. So there's more evidence and more ways to follow that than there ever has been, ever. See, it's I'll just, in, 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 in my training, my training in human trafficking, which is really 29 years on the ground, really at times very guerrilla because it's we're breaking ground and then at times learning from other nations, agencies, entities. But then my, it's my personal training in, in, in the training I received in South Africa as we as we go through military when you triangulate things and you create pain points and pressure points on multiple levels and you say okay we're going to apply pressure in the financial system we're going to look we're going to yeah. train people to look and then we're going to let's say uh follow this one girl who's on OnlyFans. okay and we're going to look at who her subscribers are right to, to the degree that we can and we're going to see what pops up through Venmo there. And does anybody there that's on a Venmo pop up maybe on something else in a bank? Have we heard anything from that guy? Is there any priors? And you start building this yeah. thing together. But to do that, you got to communicate. Yeah. Train, identify, collect intel, share intel, communicate. And it's a, it's a, it takes a machine yeah. to, to hand it off to the right people. And in setting protocols to say, okay, listen, I'm seeing something. It's a flag. I want to raise my hand in a bank. Are those protocols, obviously for financial crimes, those protocols are in place. Yes. They know where to go. Absolutely. Is there, to your, to your knowledge, a reasonable baseline understanding of human trafficking within the banks? I want to say I hope so. Because there are training courses that almost all of them take. There are mandatory classes that they have to take. I don't think they're as good as what, say, an outside organization can bring in, especially survivor-led training. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with survivor-led training. That's how we how were yeah. built. Uh, Tamea yeah. Nagy, I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with her, yeah. Tamea's cause. We're very yeah. close with her, yeah. and she has partnered with us on several uh, projects. She's a, an amazing one to get, hey, this is what you look for. Here's are the transactions yeah. that I had to do as yeah. a victim. Uh, they don't like to say victim, which I, I'm happy they don't. Survivor. Survivor. Yeah. And this is what I had ended up having to do, a sort of thing. And that really helps the compliance officer like myself. And I'm scribbling notes going, oh, you mean cash only to say drugstores? And then immediate withdrawal and then say ACH just to, I don't know, check card purchases at 
uh, no six, no tell motel. Mm -hmm. And that's all I've got. No in incoming money for, for a paycheck, nothing like that. Yeah. Gift Those, cards. Yeah. Gift card. Yes, absolutely. Walmart gift cards. And there are rules. Instant visa. Yeah. yeah, there are transaction monitoring rules set up to look for those things. Now, it, I'm not a tech person yeah. generally, so a lot of those, it's very tech heavy. Yeah. And, and you don't have carte blanche. You, you get, and we don't want that. We yeah. don't want banks exactly. to just be able to. We don't, and so that's the tricky, the slippery slope. Of, yeah. You know, to a degree, we got to see, but we also, as a constitutionalist, as someone who believes in, in, in what this nation is, that we have freedoms, we don't want gross oversight. Right. But we do need to my opinion in trafficking put a much greater emphasis on following the money yes that's and and for the, the and the reason that's not happening is most of the ngos the non-government organizations that are in anti-trafficking most of them were founded by survivors and that skill set's not there yeah and the relationship is not necessarily there and the heart is to rescue and restore but for our organization, we are fully integrated vertically to go and look for, search, dive in yeah. deep, write protocols, policy, legislation, curriculum, right? We have to double down and we're excited to to dive into that world with you and learn and see. Um, the other thing that we talked about earlier is when you are pinning someone on a financial crime, societally and and through the judicial process, those cases are easier to to move through the system. Right. They they get you know tax fraud. Al Capone that they love to say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tax fraud gets mm -hmm. severely penalized, right? And and it's and it doesn't matter. It's almost like it's it's almost like it's outside of of political speech and whatever. It's just like hey, um, where anti trafficking very difficult to prosecute. Yeah, uh, really not. But it, but it currently is not really prosecuted because the DAs, it's very, it's a labor-intensive case. Right. Like you said, it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's it's not a monetary cash flow center for a bank to necessarily say let's dive into this and training and a bunch of stuff. Well, for a, for a district attorney, it's like is this a quick victory or a long victory? I need quick victories as a DA because that's how I advance my career. And this is an 18-month case where I have a child that's got to do a forensic interview, can't go on a witness stand, can't be cross-examined. Right. This is difficult. Jury, yes, the penalty says 30 years imprisonment for the trafficker, right. but they plead it down to kidnapping charge, a misdemeanor, drug, always drugs, or even auto theft or whatever, right? And there's priors, and then it's like probation violation or whatever. But it's not, it's not trafficking. Where financial crimes seem to... They go into the court as a right. financial crime. And here's my question to you, and because I don't know this, when it comes to DAs and and what they will prosecute, what they want, you just talked about that. Mm -hmm. Do many of them that you talk to around the country, do they make comments like, I, I'm going to pull suspicious activity reporting, which is Bank Secrecy Act reporting? Because I know they can. They can ask for it. No. They, they can. And that's that, where... That does not happen. That does not happen. That's interesting. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, I would love for it to happen. Because they have the right to do it, right? But first, they would they would have to aim to run a process of hey, this is an this is a trafficking case with a financial component to it. That's a huge asset mm -hmm. if I pull that report. But if they make the decision early on that I'm going to plead this down, we're not going to see the inside of a courtroom here. Yeah, right. 
then then they don't ever get to that. And I'll give you an example: two hundred and two hundred fifty-four counties in Texas. Okay, right. this is not my number, but I'm about to share with you. It's the Attorney General's number. My number is higher, but let's take his number, right? Ken Paxton's number. Two hundred fifty-four counties in Texas. We prosecute child sex crimes in ten counties. It's disgusting. No. People will go, oh, no, 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 no. We're prosecuting a lot more than that. And I said, no, no, not as child sex crimes. It's a child sex crime that gets pled down to a drug charge. Now you're no longer prosecuting it as a child sex yeah. crime. Ten counties. And we are probably the best in the nation on that ratio. 254-10. It's disgusting. that they, they, they walk free and nobody is really going after the money. Yeah. That is a valve that is untouched that we know, whether it's cartel, organized crime, unorganized crime, doesn't matter. When you touch money, people move. Right. And federal officers can subpoena or you know, even look through. They don't even have to subpoena anything. They have access to uh, suspicious activity reporting in the U.S., which is they, we call them SARS in the industry. They have access to SARS or BSA info is what we call it. And they could just go in there in a bullion search string and look up the names associated with whomever that they're looking for, that they're going to prosecute or that it's a victim. And then if there's any SAR reporting in there, they can pull that and that can be help them with evidence. It's not necessarily airtight. Suspicious activity reporting is exactly what it says. It's only suspicious. Sure. But you've also documented the transactions. But it's you've another, it but it's another exactly. thread. Exactly. It's another breadcrumb. It's right there for them. It's a breadcrumb. And yeah. this is how we build cases. Mm -hmm. This is why when we train people also, this is why when you leave a gas station, there is a measuring tape next to the door. Mm -hmm. Why? Because when you tell the officer, hey, the guy came in here and he pulled a gun, that's a quick, like, how tall was he? I don't know. Now, you know, look at the door. He was about six foot. That helps. Right. What was he wearing? What shoes? F physical features, tattoo. It's little breadcrumbs. We build cases. It's yeah. not always that you have to solve the mystery in moment one. But the financial component is so often just neglected. It's left yeah. out. I'm excited because I do believe now this is a this is a big statement, but I believe we can do more from the outside with the skill sets that was on the inside. Yeah, and say, look, we're going to go after it. Yeah, we're going to go, and we build a lot of these cases. I don't, I can't even tell you how often we built the whole anti-trafficking case and we hand it over mm -hmm. to law enforcement and say, now can we go get? Can we? Here it's packaged for you. Right. Here's the hard drive with the child born on it. Yeah, and then still you'll get, you know. You have to pull teeth sometimes in the FBI if it's federal, child porn federal, that's uh -huh. federal, anti-trafficking, you know, whether it's local PD or a sheriff or whatever, ICAC unit, Internet Crimes Against Children. You've got to pull teeth to get them to really dig deep. Yeah. it's it's um, There's a huge burnout rate. The fatigue factor is massive. Very, very few people know this, but the, the fact that on average... You rescue a victim three times before their safe house journey and their rehabilitation sticks. Yeah. So you're going to the same PD and say, hey, we got to go find Jessica again. Mm -hmm. We just spent a year to find her. What do you mean? Well, found, found her. She was in a safe house and she ran back to her pump. And then the public will say, well, that's stupid. Why would she do that? You've not been in that condition. You've right. not been programmed. You've not been You've never been mentally. broken like that. You've never been broken yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. But then I've got to go back to the same PD and say, come on, boys, let's go again. 
third time. It's demoralizing. Yeah. yeah. Then this happens. So, and this is a real case recently. So we get her. We get the trafficker. We have this organization, as in the last month, have helped arrest, get in jail the same trafficker three times. And the judge lets her out. So a judge says she can go. Now go talk to law enforcement. They go, hey, we got to go get her again. And they go, guys, this is why we're doing this. Like where the system is breaking down. So even when law enforcement gets it right, and they do often, right? right, With the help of NGOs, and NGOs can't do it without law enforcement, you pass that baton. You pass the intel as a CIA operative, right, to someone else. Mm -hmm. You pass the intel, and then currently in the judicial system, it's failing the victim left, right, and center. Is there any reasoning the judge gave for the release? The judge, the the judge in the first case said it was a, a violate a, a constitutional violation of her freedom, and I was like, no, she had a she had a, a, a restraining order against her. She violated her restraining order. Right, she right. works for the trafficker. She's a groomer. Mm-hmm. She violated restraining order. She threatened a woman's life. We had her arrested on a violation of a restraining order, right? And then it and, and it goes so egregious to the point where until something very detrimental happens, they don't really act with the full force of the law. Yeah, I I was. That was frustrating for me too. And as a CT officer after 9-11, uh, I was actually supposed to be in the Pentagon on 9-11, third floor army side. And I was pulled at the last minute to go to another meeting. And I was supposed to give a presentation on voice recognition software because I was a background investigator. And then that's what drove my love for CT to go after these guys, to find out what is jihad. What is, I didn't even know what really Islam. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know any of that stuff. And I just threw myself, I read the Quran twice, and then I went to class for two years and then came out and said, I think I want to do CT work. And that's what got me going. And the the barricades that we would get every once in a while when we would try to do something, you can't go into specifics, but it was funny. I, I had a boss who was amazing. I loved her. And she would try to push either the bureau, if it had anything to do with a U.S. nexus or anything else that we'd have to partner up with a law enforcement agency on. And she would literally look at them. And when they would get to a certain point, I'd go, oh, she's going to say it. She's going to say it. And she would sit there at the table and she'd look at them and say, would you have said this on September 12th, 2001? And I would get goosebumps every time. And that's what changed our minds and go, oh, okay, well, let's go ahead and do it. And it it would always work out for us. Yeah, yeah. And people aren't seeing that. They're not doing As, that. Uh, no, they're not. And uh, most of Gen Z today were, were not alive for yeah. 9-11. Yeah. And different narrative. I want to pause there for a second just to recognize um, the Institute for Shelter Care. Um, I'm a proud member of the Institute and serve as an advisor to that board, Gene Allert and her team. They do unbelievable work to create um, best practices for shelter care programs. We talk about safe houses, shelters that take in survivors of human trafficking. And we've got unbelievable partners around the country um, that that either gleaned from Jean Allert and her team, um, Samaritan Women, and then the Institute for Shelter Care, and in organizations, independent, non-government organizations across this country that are in this fight. And so we salute you. We thank you. Thank you, Jean, and the Institute for the standard that you're setting for the investment you're making into these organizations to serve the victims 
turned survivors well, to see them redeemed and set free and truly thriving. So part of this program is brought to you by the Institute for Shelter Care. We thank Gene Allard and then also thanking Patriot Mobile. Uh, Glenn Story and Patriot Mobile, thank you so much for stepping up and helping us rescue victims of human trafficking. Thank you so much for going to the border with us. Patriot Mobile, of course, is the only conservative Christian cell phone provider in the U.S. Uh, unbelievable service. They use all the major towers. You can call Patriot Mobile. They'll help you transfer in. And Glenn told me that they would even assist you in buying you out of your contract. Just know that when you spend money with Patriot Mobile, that organization turn around and take portions of the profits and they pour it into Judeo-Christian causes such as combating human trafficking, standing for life in the womb, and so much more. So for those two organizations, we want to thank you. 9-11. Yeah, I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was a background investigator uh, in the agency. I went from background investigations into operations. And I, uh, I was pulled to go to a different building in Tyson's Corner area. And I was standing on, uh, I was giving my presentation, about to give a presentation. So I got there early and I was going upstairs to get some coffee at a little cafe that, that was there. And I, I remember I was getting my money out and above the cashier, there was the uh, TV right there. And I'm giving her my money and I happened to look up and that's when the second plane went in. Cause the, obviously we didn't see the first one. And I looked and I go, huh, well, that, what a horrible accident. That's, uh, oh gosh, I can't believe that just happened. And then, so I, I get my stuff, I get my coffee and I'm, my mind is on this presentation I have to give. And I turn around, I start to walk out the cafe and tables were being turned and chairs were kind of by the wayside because all of a sudden everybody in that room just fled out fast. They were, they were running. Words like jihad, words like bin Laden were being thrown around. I had no idea. I was in my twenties. I said, oh, what's going on here? I have no idea. So I go downstairs in my naivete and go down to the little bubble area, auditorium area we had. All our background investigators were there. Thank God they were all there because any one of us, including myself, were in, you know, at NSA. We were in, you know, down in, um, uh, with the Marines train, you know, mm -hmm. um, having a, a brain cramp on that one. But we were anywhere, uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, stuff like that. And that was our office. That was our cars. And I go in and I look at my friend Alan. I said, oh, it's a horrible accident in New York. Someone just went right into the Twin Towers. That's awful. Well, my friend Alan, much smarter than me, he stood there and he looked down at me because he's very tall. And he goes, excuse me, come again? They did what? No one just goes into a tower. That's an attack. And I went, huh? And then next thing you know, our doors flow open, fly open and our chief walks through the door saying, telling us we've just been attacked. Everyone get home as quickly as can't. you can. Do not come back to a building until we tell you to. And I lived about 10 minutes away from that building in Arlington. And uh, I think it took us about four or five hours to get home because everyone was trying to get home on those roads. And then when I got to an overpass area, I was sitting there with my government-plated car, just feeling like I was a sitting duck. I didn't. We didn't know if there's guerrilla warfare coming after that. We had no idea what other kind of attacks were planned for us. And I'm listening to the radio and I'm stuck in traffic. And next thing I know, I see people coming from the right side of me. They're just coming up over the hill. And they were just full of ash or blood. Uh, in uniform, in civilian clothes, that sort of thing, stumbling around. They didn't know where they were going, crying. Uh, people were jumping out of their cars to help each other in, uh, strangers helping strangers. I did not want to do that because I was in a government-plated car, and I didn't know if I'd be putting myself at risk with anyone else. And so I did jump out and talk to my friend Kristen, who was following me. We were trying to keep each other safe, and we both said, let's not do that because what if they're pinpointing government people? Mm -hmm. And so we, we sat there. I felt selfish, but 
we sat there and we just watched people go to these different but cars. But in the chaos of that situation, you know, it's yeah. it's there's no training. Yeah. That that's a scenario that I think was so was so far outside of even the trained personnel. But we should reflect and yeah. look at that moment and say, if I can transition here again, the dovetail of crime begets crime. Uh, I think you'd agree. And, and hurt people hurt people. Yes. And so when we look at an, an an open border and we look at people coming in, we look at trafficking across the border, but not just trafficking of persons, of who knows what, fentanyl and, and, and something as simple as it could be cholera, could be Ebola, it, whatever, right? It could have someone, you know, my brother just literally survived malaria in Africa. I mean, it could be anything, right? So you just don't know. Right. The, the the feeling currently within armed forces, ex, especially ex, you know, ex, you know, Marines, etc., of man, we feel vulnerable. We feel it's, it's not good. This is not good, you know. And so, uh, my prayer is that God's hand is on our nation, and that the plans of the enemy get thwarted and that it falls apart. But this is not good. No. I, I worry it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier about grooming and things like that. I first, my mind started getting a little more open when I was in Afghanistan. Fast forward from 9-11 to I'm standing in Afghanistan and I'm in our, our little compound. And I was a TDYer, as I mentioned before. So I was only there for a short time. And I was, there's two female colleagues of mine off to my right. And I had to go to a meeting. We had someone come in from the area who wanted to meet with somebody to give information. So they said, hey, you're up next, Aaron. You're going to go. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go. So I'm getting ready. It's very dry out there. It's Afghanistan. It's a lot of desert around. It's the desert. And I have dry lips, right? Yeah. So I have my, my chapstick and my my uh, cargo pants, as we all wore the same cargo pants. And I just threw my chapstick on because it was really dry that day. And I go to pick up my, my pad and paper like you've got. And I start to turn around and to walk out. And the women next to me, they were, they were making light of it, but I think it's the only way they could cope. They literally go, what are you doing that for? It had a little bit of color to it, but it was definitely for dryness. And they looked at me, what are you doing that for? And I said, what, what does that mean? That you're going to go meet this, this uh, source. And I said, yeah, but what, what are you talking about with chapstick? And they said, oh, don't you know that women are for babies and boys are for playing? Yeah. And it, I've never heard that term before. I was, 100%. I was in my 20s. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I was very sheltered growing up. So, and then I, I sat there. I said, what does that mean? And they started talking to me about the trafficking. And it wasn't called trafficking then. It was just no. the when they were describing it as tribal, you know, giving mm -hmm. of, of the nine-year-old and the eight-year-old and things like that. And, and But the boys, though, they're trafficked just as well. And that was the first time I had really been exposed to that. And it, it made my stomach turn. I'm so glad you bring that up. In our film... Sex Nation in the documentary, we go back, you know, and, and I started 1928 with uh, Stalin and John Dewey, and we travel through this sexual revolution of America with Alfred Kinsey and Hugh Hefner and the whole deal. But I make the argument that it's built on the Roman model. And, you know, the Roman Empire fell because of sexual immorality. And, and a Roman leader did not spend time with his wife in a room. They slept with boys. Mm -hmm. They only called their wife in. Even biblically, Queen Esther did not stay with her husband in the same quarter. She had to be summoned. She said, hey, I've not been summoned. When her uncle says, listen, right. you got to go talk to the king because they're about, you know, Haman's making gallows and they want to they eliminate our whole race. She goes, I've not been summoned. 
but I'll go. If he holds his scepter to me, he'll talk to me, but if I die, I die. Whether it's Caesar, um, the, the, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those in the church, out this church, boys were for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Girls were for producing an heir. Yep. And procreating. Mm-hmm. And they would get rid of a woman as fast as you can believe if she didn't produce a male heir. And this is not just folklore and Viking theory. This is just in it. And we see this in the Mayan culture and the Asian culture and the Greek culture and the Roman culture in it. And, and we are there now where in the American culture, the amount by which the sexualization of young boys is underreported. I can't, we can't even give you a number. It is, it is because boys don't self-report. Men don't talk about sexual abuse on men and women seldom do. Very seldom, right. you know, and so we the numbers that we throw out that it's ninety seven percent women and, and girls, we make that because we go off of cases that of reports. But I can tell you emphatically that's not accurate, right. because when I look at the exploitation of boys through gaming and online and what's happening in sport, honestly, my number and and you know we are we are on the brink of doing a proper study on this. But I I would bet it's sixty forty. Yeah, that forty percent. Of trafficking is in fact is in fact young boys. It's not just and, and I'm not talking about female on young boys, male to male and female. I mean, so it's it's been there. It's been that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget. Last year, I was asked to um, our organization was asked to do an anti-trafficking campaign for the soccer World Cup in Qatar, and I was actually at the UN headquarters on the property, on the premises. Yes. And I'm asked to do it. And I said, I, I can't, I can, I can't work with the Qataris. And they're like, why? It's, we, we want to stop human trafficking. This is good. This is what you do. You know, you messaging, you know what to say. And I said, for me to tell the world that our organization is going to join you in an anti-trafficking campaign, right? Knowing that you sell eight year old girls as child brides. And I say this to yeah, his face. Yeah, a tough one. Right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You're trafficking your own daughters. Yeah. Oh, that's not trafficking. It's, it's our culture. And I said, buddy, this is America. Mm-hmm. You're selling children. I can't work with you. Right? right. So I walk away, it causes a big ruckus. And it's like, Yaku, what are you doing? This is, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be telling the world that they're not trafficking children and they don't want traffickers to come, but they sell their own daughters. No, this is nonsense. So we end up working with the soccer federation and organization on anti-trafficking campaign, but that happens. The cultural stuff in Africa, the, the, the genital mutilation. Yes. The, the, I mean, that is disgusting on the hands of a government. Mm-hmm. You look at a Joseph Kabila, how we went head to head with that guy, where the women in the villages would come to us and say this, help us, our children, our children, they're raping our daughters. And I would say, well, who, who's this militia? Who are they? Are they, are they in Africa's jungle? I mean, jungle like you, when you get into the Congo, the DRC, Congo, Brazzaville, it's like you're on a different planet, man. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're in the food chain for the animals. And they come and go, no, 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 no. And they kept speaking in in, in Congolese and in French. And and I'm like, what are they saying? And they go, no, uniform, uniform, uniform. And then you find out, wait a minute, it's the military. It's Kabila's own military. Mm raping and trafficking the women as a mechanism of force yes to say you can't hide 
I own you. I own the military. So it wasn't even the criminals. It's like he would recruit the criminals. Right. Yeah. And then you've got the UN so-called peacekeepers. Right. That are doing, we're hearing now. It's not just me making this up. Uh, no, no, this is fact. They yeah, yeah. they are doing the same thing. So where are these people supposed to go? How are they supposed to live? Yeah. And, and so, 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 you know, and we, and this is, this is, it's so global, but I want to make a right. point with all that going on and people go, oh, it's awful what's happening in Cambodia and Haiti and, you know, the Haiti earthquake, Red Cross, raised $4 billion, go talk to Haitians. Go actually to Haiti, 29 trips to that island I've had. We, by God's grace, rescued over 400 girls on that island and shut down more organizations. And you talk to the Haitian mothers that say, still looking for our daughters. And by the way, uh, the Red Cross never came to us. I thought the Clinton Foundation was supposed to do that. It was the Clinton Foundation, but mm. there was not a single tent. No, nope. Never showed up. Nope. Photo up, photo up, but didn't not round mm. the families up, give them legal support, Bring the funds, all from the American taxpayer, by the way. They milked the American taxpayer, played on their heart. Hey, come and let's go help Haiti, these children, these children, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't happen. Then you find out, wait a minute, a lot of the traffickers were embedded. And now with all that, with me talking to the vice chairman of Interpol just three months ago mm -hmm. from Africa, and he's, he's, he's an African leader, and he's saying, hey, Yaku, are you aware? This is a one-on-one -on -one conversation, again, at the UN building. Are you aware that our number one organ harvesting cartel in Nigeria has moved into Mexico? Are you aware that they're talking about their destination, America? Are you aware that all the trafficking operations in Africa talks about they want to operate in America? Why? Right. We buy. Yep. We are the number one nation creating demand as bad as it is around the world, because the dollar, the American dollar, they, they want it and they, they'll come sell here. And so uh, one more thing, people say, well, Yaku, all these kids, it's so horrific, all these kids flooding across the border, right? And they're being trafficked. And I said, say that again, they're being trafficked. And I go, yeah, it's terrible, absolutely horrific. And then I'll say, who's buying? Right. And then the conversation stops. There'll be trafficked and well, there's well, no well, buyers. Well, what do you mean, Yaku? Yeah. I'm like, the Guatemalans are not selling their children to the cartel and they come in and sell them to Guatemalans right. in the U.S. We're buying. Mm -hmm. Follow the money. Powerful people are doing it too. Heads of companies. They have the money. Yeah. I've seen it. Fortune 100, Fortune mm -hmm. 500. Come on. And so, and it's not just Jeffrey Epstein. Right. Yeah, I mean, thousands of Jeffrey Epsteins. Right. Tens of thousands. And, and you mentioned uh, earlier the, the whole grooming part of it. Yeah. And that's something that's incredibly terrifying to me, desensitizing our children to even know when they are being gaslit and when they are being, I'll use the word, groomed, to talk to, to strangers, to be able to be okay with them, to be all right with them. We have a daughter. She's 11. And we've, we've told her from the beginning, you, this is what the term gaslighting means. This... you. When someone says this to you, you know, you, you look for these sorts of things. And she's doing that now. She's actually asking me, hey, is this, yes, is this that? We won't even let her on internet that much. Unfortunately, the schools are, they have Chromebooks and YouTube is just wide open for that. Hey, that deal got signed. We said it's unilaterally. It's, it's all, it's digital. It's terrifying. It's As we go backwards, not, it wasn't the sole reason because we were already planning to come here to Texas from California. And we just got here last year. What I found out, we'd already gotten our, our plot and we were already building. But by January of 2022, 
I, I saw that I'm a very hands-on parent and she was in uh, uh, virtual learning for all of her third grade year. Meanwhile, Texas opened, what, a month after something like you guys shut down for we, a month we, or two? We never really shut yeah, down. Yeah, good, good, because you're common but, sense. But, common sense here. But yes. California I mean, schools were shut down for a year and a half. Yeah. While the blankety-blank Super Bowl was on, I was really at my, my wit's end. We left for tax reasons and for everyone lost their humanity in California. In our neighborhood alone, we had the former HOA president taking pictures of people months into the, the pandemic, by the way, taking pictures of people outside on our Greenbelt area and putting them up on Facebook and saying, you're not wearing a mask and you're not social distancing. Yeah, the social virtue, vir virtual warriors. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So they lost, I got yelled at, screamed at because I was running outside by myself with no one around me that I didn't have a mask. And people were yelling from the their bikes and things like It was ridiculous. You have lost your humanity, California. I don't care what you have to say. I was there for 14 years. So amidst all of this, January 2022, I see an email come out from our superintendent. He was new to our district. He came from another nearby district. School superintendent. School superintendent, yeah. yes, for Contra Costa County. And I'd never seen something like this before. I, it was a parent listening session. I said, this is fantastic. I love this. Uh, I'm going to go. And so I dragged my neighbor to go to it because her kids are the same age as our daughter. And we lived in a cul-de-sac. So I said, all right, we're going to go together. And we went. And he he's, he's a very, very smart man. And he stood up there. Of course, everyone had their masks on in January 2022. And I got yelled at for not having one. Um, I have PTSD, so the, the the amount of coming back, like feeling like I'm suffocated, really gets to me. I can't do it. I really can't. And I get panic attacks, the whole thing. But no one cares about that. It's all about germs, right? So I walk into the, the gymnasium, and there's hardly anybody. There's maybe 40 parents, maybe, at that. And it's a whole district-wide listening session. Parents are, sp are supposed to be able to say things to the superintendent and ask questions. He gave us a little song and dance first about demographics of the area, grades, things like that, test scores and stuff. And that was fine. Then he gets to one slide where it talks about the SEL demographic breakdowns. And again, I'm, I was on all of her apps. I knew exactly what was on her desktop. I knew she would sometimes have class. And since I work from home, luckily, she would have class. I could hear a teacher. Everything was fine. I didn't have any problem with what the teacher yeah, was doing. And by the way, social, social emotional Learning. learning. Yep. And he was talking about social emotional learning and what the breakdowns of that was and the assessment. What assessment? And so I thought this was a survey. I thought sent to the parents. So I'm sitting in the front row and I raised my hand and said, Dr. Clark, I didn't get that. I, I must have missed it. But I, I get every single piece of communication you sent out. The district sends out. Can you send that again or something? Well, of course, the teachers in the back were about to go on strike and they tried to hijack our parents listening session by screaming about their salaries and telling me sit down be quiet. Yeah, this was something given to the, the students. Well, more parents raised their hands and said, what is that? Well, they didn't know either. So luckily I felt better. So I, I, I'm not the only one. I don't understand what this is. So that was on a earlier in the week. Later, the very next day, I sent an email to the teacher saying, I need to have that SEL assessment. What is that going on? What is that? And she didn't write me back to the end of the day, which is fine. She said, I have to ask the principal if we can give you that. Said, yeah. No, you don't. And so then once I got that piece of information that was in the uh, portal that you can speak to through the schools, you know, yeah. I said, nope, we're changing this to email. So I have a record of this. So then I went to the email and I wrote to Dr. Clark, the principal and the teacher themselves. And I said, I need to have, thank you so much for the parent listening session last night. I learned a lot. Can I please have access to that uh, SEL assessment that you gave my daughter? Thank you. And then he sent me to a gentleman named Raymond who sent me basically propaganda about why I should like and love and be on the propaganda machine. Well, Raymond didn't know who I was. And I looked at it, read it, and I said, mm, I think you copied this from a SEL website about why I'm just supposed to take it and sit down. Well, I'm not the one. 
Mm-hmm. And I wrote back and I said, that was not an essay question I asked for. I asked for her assessment. Thank you. And we went back and forth. This happened for a couple of days. He, they were actively preventing me yeah. from seeing uh-huh. an SEL assessment. Uh, yeah. there but, was gave it, but gave it to the child to say yep. that we disseminated information. Yep. It's informed consent. Yep. Here we go. Child, mm-hmm. fifth grader, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, yep. right? Mm-hmm. It's control. And to to literally to control a mm-hmm. populace, a whole a whole generation, right? And to to create a dependency on a generation because a person that's sexually broken is dependent. That it's 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 the most horrifying yep. way to live is if someone is sexually broken, where they are trained that they're the problem, it's their fault, their family's gonna suffer, no one will believe them, no one will help them. See, the police is not gonna see that guy was arrested he's walking no one will listen to you xyz or it's a police officer that's buying sex it's a pastor that's buying sex i mean that world and so you're creating a class of dependent citizens that are that are not able to critically think that can't see daylight can't see the forest from the trees don't know that they're being exploited don't understand that this is not okay i mean and they're stuck but it's formalized in education now Mm -hmm. we're doing it now through the classroom and and it's not a battle that we're winning. No. It's a battle we're losing. And and the notion is that well, we make state laws. We did in Texas. We said no drag shows for kids in Texas. That doesn't matter. Government signed it. Okay. Governor signed it. Federal judge said that's a violation of freedom of speech. But so, yet, so but yet we have R-rated down. movies and PG thirteen and, and so classifications for that way. Is that struck it down? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What does this have to do with freedom of speech? This has got nothing to do with freedom of speech. I mean, we're talking here about you proactively taking your lifestyle. That's your choice. This is America. You can live your life the way you want to live your life. But when you start enforcing your way of life upon another human being and you hide behind free speech and you sexualize a child, right? Or you want us to swallow the pill of it's not a pedophile, it's a minor retracted person. I go, heck no. That's the nom- the demonic. That's not America. That's not who we are. We have to defend the voiceless and the and the innocent. And it's complete transference too. So people on that side who I've actually heard, I've listened, I watch all of our Denton ISD school board meetings. I watch them on on the, the links. I've been to a couple, and the people that get up to say they're so angry about people challenging books, no oh, book banning and all that, and they're going, stop putting your religious views on me. Stop doing this. Stop telling me what I can and can't teach my daughter or son. I don't understand that because we're just doing what, say, the the FCC does. We're just doing, trying to say, hey, age-appropriate material, curating age-appropriate. You, you don't take your kid to an R-rated movie, do you? A lot do now. A lot of R-rated movie, no, do you? No, but still, that the, argument of the argument of you're silencing my voice, I'm just trying to teach my child. No, you're not. You're trying to unilaterally put it in right. every child's hands. Right. Teach your child at home the way you want to teach your child. I I pray for you and your family that you do the right thing. But again, you cannot take you cannot take that lifestyle and say, now we have to change the English language. Right. And every parent who's listening. Laws. Yeah. Every parent who's listening now, I, I encourage you to contact your principal and give them an SEL opt out letter. 
and SE. You can do that. That is your yeah. right because I'm seeing so much apathy in our area and it, and it's terrifying. We just left it a completely apathetic zombie area of parents who just would look at me whenever I'd say, hey, this California. is- California. Yeah, this is just, this is disturbing. You should look at this. Oh my gosh, what can we do as parents together? We should band together. And I was just told, oh, Aaron, you're just being crazy. And they just turn around and then mm-hmm. I got the, the, the hand or whatever. And I'd go, okay, I'm the crazy one. Well, then we'll just leave and we'll go to a state that has some common sense. Yes, we do here in Texas. Yes, I'm seeing that. However, we're going to go over the other side to California and very, very soon. And I'm seeing so much apathy in our area. Uh, I mean, Denton, please I, come out and, and come I'm to school so, board. I'm so glad you're saying that because I'll say this, and, and I call it virtual activism. You know, just saying trafficking is bad. No, we need action. Action. And it's not just rescue and restoration. Right. And no, the average citizen cannot go rescue but you can prevent it from happening by taking a moral stance to say, this is not okay, man. Under no circumstances this healthy for a society, for a culture, just like a society without laws, borders, you, you can't function that way. You can't right. have a law that says you cannot break and enter. And then when someone breaks and enters, there's no penalty. Now you're telling everybody else, man, it's really a free for all. Yeah, exactly. If you traffic children, they're not going to give you 30 years in prison. As a matter of fact, you're not even going to see it inside of the court. You know what they're going to do? They're going to slap a marijuana charge on you. Mm-hmm. They're going to slap an illegal, you know, a gun violation or a traffic violation on you. And it and it emboldens evil. It tells evil that the boogeyman doesn't have teeth. You know, it, it's, it's really no no teeth. And I want to give parents one more thing that they can do. I mean, just not just, just to the school board stuff. The ed tech that's been evolving in in yeah. our country, which is educational technology, all but the Texas, tech stuff. Texas is yeah. under. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So here's something they Pegasus can do. Pegasus Park. Look into Pegasus Park, yeah. Texas. Yeah. They want to make it the 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 standard for RFID tags on children's backpacks and tracking their coming and going. This is real. Well, here's one thing that parents can do: just just make you feel like you're on the stepping stone of doing something against this. So I learned that when you have you create an email address, you're putting an identity out there. So if you have an email address of a first grader, which the schools did in first grade in California, and I lost my mind, mm-hmm. created an email address that creates an identity. Mm-hmm. What parents should do is that they need to contact their all three credit reporting agencies, put their children on their credit cards. I know it sounds crazy. Hear me out. That you're telling the credit reporting agencies and the credit itself that this person exists, I'm vouching for them. I'm going to create a strong credit line for my child when they get older. Write to the three credit reporting agencies and put a minor uh, freeze on their social security numbers because they're getting to the age 18 and they're trying to get out on their own. They're applying for loans for cars, to buy books for schools, and their identities have been shredded because of synthetic identity fraud, which is a 22 or so billion dollar industry. They're taking the real social security number of a person, say our child, and then pairing it with the name of a deceased person. They call it the Frankenstein fraud. And those two things come together to shred our real life children's identity and they can't get out of their parents' home. Okay, and hold on, Aaron. You gotta thing. do this, you gotta do this again. Parents, <laughs> you gotta listen. Hold on, sl- slow down. I know, okay. I talk fast. No, 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 no. It's the concept that I want parents to really understand yeah. that it, legally this is possible. Yep. So I'm gonna reiterate. Um, call your credit card company, place your children on the credit card. Yeah, our daughter's on our credit okay. card. She's okay. not gonna watch this, but she knows. No. Don't tell Place them. her on the credit card. Yeah. Then call the Experian, Equifax. Yep. All three. All three. Call all three or write or them. You can go online on their websites and yeah. there is a minor um, ref- uh, freeze report and you can tell them that they're on the credit 
Okay, they're on the credit and you want to freeze. Freeze their the social minor's security. Social security number. Yep. Is this kind of a life lock mechanism? Yeah, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Right? It's almost like the Iron Dome in Israel. Not to bring up Israel, that's a tough one these days. But I'm not getting into that one. But you know what I mean? I love the rock. Israel. I know, I do too. I'm saying we're not getting in, yeah. into the whole Hamas yeah. Yeah. stuff on this this one. Not this one. Yeah, this one. Uh, the rockets come in, that's the attempts on that social security number. Yeah. Yeah. And the Iron Dome is gonna protect it that way, hopefully. But that is the best way to do it now. And if But a placing does the that, child on the credit card is just building a Yes. Saying, Hey, this is a person. Yep. You know? And you're vouching for them. And you're also building up their credit. But you, would, you would think they're a person with a birth certificate. Yeah. And you're vouching for them. You think. You would think but that. To the credit card. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're telling the credit people yeah. that this person, because oh, they don't ask for a birth certificate. Don't, don't, don't get me started on, the credit, on so. the credit people. I know. Me too. There's so much more to discuss. Thank you so much, Aaron. Look, um, I, I, I'll close the show with this. Let's follow the money and get the traffickers and the buyers, the Johns, the demand side, who's paying, who's buying. Where's the money going? And then who's complicit within the financial services industry? So look, there's a lot there too. There's a lot of see something and look away the other, you look the other way. Can I add on that one? Follow mm -hmm. the money. I would be remiss if I didn't mention our mm -hmm. now future partners, Traverse Project, who yes. are going to help us yes. in fo following the money. So shout out to Austin. We had a call Austin today. Traverse Project with a great call today. They're going to allow us to see places that we currently can't see. They follow the money of the traffickers, yeah. exactly what you were talking yeah. about. So hopefully he'll be on your show next month, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He is, and we're going to go deeper into this. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service to the country. Thank and you. thank you for how you're blessing and serving our ministry and for what we can learn from you. God bless you. Um, you may have to watch that last segment a number of times to, <laughs> to get I the credit fast. card. No, it's good. It's good. Hey, it's all about protecting children. That's what we're about. Uh, I also want to thank Storyville Coffee. Thank you so much to Storyville Coffee for sponsoring the bottom line and walking with Yaku Boyens Ministries. When you drink Storyville Coffee, you help save the life of a child. So um, think about whether you do that when you drink Starbucks. Probably not. So why don't you drink Storyville Coffee delivered to your home? You can subscribe knowing 100% that when you drink that cup of coffee, you are helping rescue children from sex trafficking and placing them into shelter programs, trauma-informed survival-led shelter programs where they can get help and rebuild their life. God bless you. Thank you for the episode, Aaron. Thank you. It's been a blessing. Appreciate Thanks. it. See you next time.